On episode four, the guys welcome Blaze Pearson, founder of Torch Family Leadership. He schools these boys about being better men, husbands, and fathers. We also find out Jeff does what he's told at home. Without further ado, here's Mansplain Everything. Hanging out with us today is Blaze Pearson. He's the founder of Torch Family Leadership, and he's an old friend of mine. Uh, welcome to the show, Blaze. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, my name is Blaze Pearson. I am uh, kind of a jack of all trades, master of every damn one of them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> at least sometimes but yeah i um uh, i'm a professional life coach i focus on coaching men to become better fathers and husbands i'm also a uh, a neon artist i make neon signs and art for a living as well uh and really into martial arts do do the krav maga for fun so to uh, unwind and yeah well, a little bit more than for fun, don't you, you, you teach it now, right? I do teach it. Yeah, I do. I do. I try to teach people how to, uh, how to survive and how to make it on them streets. It's legit. So what is, what it, I, I'm sorry, I, I probably can't pronounce that. So what exactly is that? Krav Maga is an, an Israeli fighting system. It's basically, uh, you can trace. Uh, you can look up and find out about a guy, Amy Lichtenfeld, but uh, Israelis would say that it's a it's a combat form that just came from just how hard it was to live in Israel. So they kind of blended all the martial arts and took away anything that was useless. So there's no wasted movement. There's no crazy katas. It's you know, we also teach running away as as a great means of self defense or taking somebody out as quickly as possible well those guys got to fight a lot so it's been yeah, yeah it's been a few years of training have been for a long time yeah yeah so that's awesome so how long you been doing that i've been doing that i've been training that for about about three years now i've done jujitsu for uh right around 20 years and and done some muay thai and some kickboxing and some boxing certified badass yeah, certified fat ass. But <laughs> as long as I can put that uh, the stuff in my credentials, uh, I'll, I'll be all right. It's on his Instagram handle. He got your own uh, own handle for that. <laughs> I do have a handle for just about everything I do. <laughs> Pretty much, if you look up Torch anything, it's me on Instagram. <laughs> where where did the Torch come from? That's just it's just associated with with the life coaching and with the neon sign building and everything is just kind of followed that. And the name being blaze maybe has. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when I was a kid, my dad used to always tell me that, you know, that he named me blaze because it meant porch bear and, you know, kind of like, uh, about being the leader and shining the light and all this stuff. And for a long time, I didn't feel like I was 
I, I didn't, you know, I had all this stuff. I played in bands and I was trying to start businesses and I didn't know what to call it. And one day it kind of hit me like well, I could center it all around Torch and it fit, you know, it fit what my dad always told me. So it was all in my mind, plus the name, plus with the neon, you know, that's what I work with. Torches all day to make neon happen. So. All right. So Torch Family Leadership, how did that whole thing come about? How did how did that come into existence? Well, basically, in 2010, I, uh, I was married and to my first wife, my ex-wife, which gives you a little hint about the rest of the story. Um, yeah, so my wife became my ex-wife, and it was really abrupt. I, didn't, I, I wasn't really ready for it. And at the time, uh, I wasn't going to give her the divorce if I didn't get the kids. So I took the kids, she took the dogs, and we went on our, our separate ways. And I want to say this first, she's an amazing mother now and, 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 and heavily involved in the kids' lives. But there for a few years, she wasn't. And so it was just me and a two and a four-year-old. And it was, it was really hard. It was, it was a hard existence. There's not a whole lot of resources out there for, uh, even today in 2018, there's not a whole lot of resources for single dads, um, or anybody in that situation. And all the, a lot of the stuff that's there for single dads is still on the kind of the every other weekend tick. It wasn't for full-time single dads and, and the things that we struggle with. And, and so that was kind of the birth of the idea. I just wanted to, I wanted to find a place where I could help men and mistakes that I had made before, um, by being in a really bad marriage and kind of giving up on it. Um, and thinking everything was okay, even though there were signs that it wasn't. And then ultimately I wanted to help men also be able to take care of their kids. And I wanted a resource for, for single fathers because I just felt like it doesn't lend itself to the strengths and weaknesses of men. I mean, single mother, uh, they have it, they have it rough as well. I don't want to sound like, like, uh, like they don't, but from my experience talking to single mothers and just being around, you know, they have babysitters, they have help people, people do things for them. Well, I couldn't find a babysitter. Nobody, you know, it didn't lend itself to people just asking if I needed help. I mean, I don't know if that's because I just put out that I was doing great or what, but I was, I was dying. You know what I mean? And there was never anybody making me dinners. There was never anybody rushing to my aid, you know, just like high five. Oh man, you're, you're, you're such a great dad, you know, and that's, that's great, but I, I needed some other sort of help. So, um, went through, uh, counseling of my own and through different classes, trying to figure out what the hell I could do to get myself right so that I could help other guys. And that's basically the genesis of, of, uh, what Torch Nia, our Torch family leadership became. Okay, so so take it back for a second. What are you are you able to talk about kind of like that first marriage and how it went from you thinking everything's okay to where it went to where she was gone and then you were confronted with a whole new situation of being a single dad. Like how that marriage take that downward turn? Yeah, good question. Um, one, I, I wasn't really prepared to be married anyway. 
Um, and I can look back and I can see that. So I, I was in a band and, um, I poured everything into this, to this band. It was kind of my life. It was everything that I, that I tried to do. Every, every silly, stupid job I ever worked was to make money to pour into this silly, stupid band that I loved. And then it broke up and it broke up real suddenly. And I was kind of like, it created a vacuum in my life. And all of a sudden I had all this free time. And hey, just so happened, there's this cute chick that lives in the apartment underneath me who happens to go to my church and she's super cool. I'm, I was like way too metal for my own good at the time. And she was super punk rock and just, you know, it seemed awesome. It seemed to fill the void. So we kind of had the whirlwind. You know, we got together, we started dating and it wasn't long before we were engaged and, and, and got married and, I wasn't really prepared for what being married was. I wasn't really ready to be a husband. And how old were you this, when you know, this was going down? I was, I was 24. 24? I was 24, yeah. Yeah. Um, then my, first, my first one was when I was 24, too. I don't think there's a man alive that's ready for it at 24, whether they think they are or not. <laughs> right. Well, it's funny because at 24, you kind of think you're old. At oh, least yeah. back then, I don't know if it's the same today. Especially with that kind of crowd. You, you think that you're an old man at that point. <laughs> right. Right, and I'm still the same. <laughs> I'm like, damn, <laughs> this is pathetic. But, uh, but yeah, it, that was a big contributor. It just wasn't ready. I mean, So you say that you weren't ready. How was that for you? Yeah, it, uh Mine ended with um, uh, her saying, "It's it's uh, not me, it's you, and uh, I'll see you later." <laughs> so, <laughs> and out the door she went. So, was, I didn't have any kids, thank God. You know, it's just uh, it was just a dog, which I didn't get the dog, but <laughs> it was it was yeah. pretty it was pretty painless. Uh, doesn't sound like maybe that's the case for you. No, it definitely was was very painful. Um, I did have two dogs that I gave up because I I wasn't going to try to fight that battle. <laughs> and I knew I was going to have a hard time trying to feed two kids and well, two dogs. Well, that's just that's a pretty incredible that uh, you know, and and kudos for you for fighting for your kids and 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 not the dogs. <laughs> you know, it yeah, just seems it was, like you hear a lot of like, stories the other way around. It's like, "Hey, look, I'll, you take the kids. I'll I'll see them on the weekends, but give me the dogs." Right. Right. I just couldn't fathom that being my existence you know i i grew up in a broken home and i really never wanted that for my kids you know uh, i would say even to this day it, it plays a huge role in my life and i know it's more common now but i don't know if it's if that makes it any easier on kids but you know i can say i hope it does because i have you know i have a house full of kids from broken homes my my wife had three three daughters and i had a son and a daughter so now we have five kids in the house so Wow. Um, you know, I, I hope that we've learned how to do it a little bit better, but I was never going to bank on that. Um, and I wanted to make sure that, that, uh, I had the children because it really seemed that at the time that my, that my ex-wife, she seemed like a completely different person from one week to the, to the next. And, um, uh, that really scared me, you know, like I didn't, she was a good mom, but she, I she completely changed. I didn't know who she was anymore. Yeah. I knew I was the same person. So I knew I would have the same kind of care for my children. So it was really the only way that I was going to 
give her what she wanted. And I was perfectly fine to do so because I knew she was really serious. There was, there was no, no way to fight it. Right. She said some pretty, some pretty harsh things that let me know that it was not going <laughs> to work out. Yeah. Yeah. In any sort of way. So. Well, so let me ask you this. When you think now and, and you're able to look back at, at the first marriage and at the second marriage, and you look at the marriage now, of course, it is going strong and the first marriage not. What do you think the big difference is? Is the big difference you as a man have have changed and developed and grown and now you're able to handle being a husband and a father and an entrepreneur and bundling all that together and being successful? Or or is it just a matter of you finally found the right woman? Like what, what percentage of each of those do you think it actually is? Yeah, I think it's um, I think it's a hundred percent both. Um, <laughs> because one thing that the becoming a single father really did for me was uh, this. This might sound weird, but it let me know that I could do it all, that I could do all everything that needed to be done. I could meet my kids' needs, and I could meet my own needs. Uh, it was that was a hard fought battle, but I got there. You know what I mean? So I think when I was younger in my first marriage, I was really looking for her to, to fill some void. You know, like I said, I'd, I'd lost the band that I'd poured my, my whole life into it for, for years at that point. And, and there, I just wasn't a, like a, a full grown man yet, even though I was 24 and 220 pounds, you know, it just wasn't there. <laughs> uh, like a St. Bernard puppy, just humping every leg and pissing on every corner. You know, <laughs> I, I don't know, but, uh, I just really didn't have, the foresight and the confidence, I guess, is probably the right way to put it, um, to be a good husband. I thought I was. I worked really hard. I worked really hard. I, I did everything I could. I tried to help. But I also tried to control everything. I was always embarrassed because things that I thought was cool or were cool when when I was dating my ex-wife, I started getting really embarrassed about, you know, she was really brash and loud and um, she always said inappropriate things, which was really cool until you're married for two years. And then like, I don't know, there's something about it. I was, there, there was something in me that was lacking the confidence to deal. And, uh, you know, I got really unhappy. I got really, really big and fat and, and, you know, sloth like, um, but in the in my marriage now, there's I can honestly say there's really not a confidence issue, and whenever there is, I just talk to my wife about it. So communication is huge, and and I just I don't let things you know fester. If I have a problem, I, I talk about it, but I do so, and I'm I'm, I'm not mad about it because I. Because I'm not lacking the confidence to just have a normal conversation with my wife about some way I might be failing her. Um, I, I don't like to hear that. I don't like to have those conversations necessarily. Well, I love to have them. I don't like going through them, right? So, um, but when you when you have that confidence that you you already know that you can you can handle yourself, and that means like. Uh, so if, if I talk to my wife and I say, what do you need done around the house? Like, why are you so stressed out? And she says, well, I just need you to make dinner twice a week. Done. Cool. Glad we had this conversation. High five. You know, uh, I, was, <laughs> not like, I was going a different way. I would have been like, well, no. So 
<laughs> but all right, done. All right, let me write that down. Done. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and it's funny because I say this a lot. I say this with clients. I say this all the time. I, I say this with my kids and with my wife. It's like I'm not afraid to have awkward conversations. And before I was way scared to have an awkward conversation. And I would try to think of the best way to put things. And I would just put it like in the worst possible way you could possibly put anything. So, like, for example, this is how, like, uh, there was a time, this wasn't my ex-wife, this was somebody I was dating, but this is how bad I was at just awkward conversation. Uh, this, this chick was great, but she had, like, terrible B.O. <laughs> and there's, like, when it's the one thing that you don't like about somebody, I'm not going to be shallow. That's a pretty big one. Either. She's got B.O. But so I told her. One day I'm trying to put this gently and think of all the right ways to say it. And she had mentioned something about how she liked the way I smelled. <laughs> so I was like, you know how you like the way I smell when I come into the room or when you give me a hug or whatever? I really wish I had that with you, too. <laughs> But how'd she take it? <laughs> oh, terribly, terribly. She told me never to talk to her like that again. She went off and then she did acknowledge. She's like, I can tell that you're trying to say that night, but you just sound like an asshole. So <laughs> that up to me again. And, you know, <clears throat> whereas like that's, that's a wild example. But at this point in time, I don't try to think of the best ways to say things. Okay. I always look at my wife or my or my kids, and I was like, "Look, I don't know how to address this, and so if I if I hurt your feelings, I'm, I just want to apologize right now because that's not my intent. I I just need to talk about this thing that I really don't have the words for, and maybe if I start talking, you can help me out. And what that does is it kind of shows that that I don't think I know all the answers, and it it, it helps make a teammate out of whoever I'm talking to. They right. can help me. You know, instead of me putting them down in some asinine way that I can't figure out how to say, I, they can help me out. Then the bonds I hear, this is what I got. Make some sense out of it. If I'm being a jerk, just tell me I'm being a jerk and we'll move on. But, but this is what I got. I don't have any of the right adjectives. I don't have any of the right pronouns or whatevers, but this is how I feel and this needs to get out. So the key is not to overthink it too much. I think so, because if you think about where men get in trouble, it's always trying to sugarcoat we, something ridiculous. Yeah, or we try to we try to think of a great way to say something, and we yeah. never say it. Yeah, yeah, because we're afraid to look like idiots. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I, I don't know about you guys, but I have absolutely no way with words at all, and my wife knows it, and <laughs> it's just one of the things that, like, she's just kind of accepted that I just. You know, I'm, I'm no poet. I'm not going to put it to her in a way that's, that's polite or sounds nice. And uh, and I'm grateful that she's kind of gotten to the point where she doesn't expect that anymore. And she knows that it's not coming because I'll just mess it up if that's what she expects. <laughs> yeah. Was there ever a time where it wasn't like that? Not, I mean, where she didn't understand that you were no wordsmith? You know, she... So Katie has always kind of told me that... Um, that I, I wear my my internal thoughts on my face too much and someone will be having a conversation with me and they'll and I'll be looking at them and she says, You're looking at him like he's an idiot. <laughs> or something like that. And 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 that's probably not maybe maybe I am, but 
but I, I never meant to be. And then sometimes, you know, she'll, she'll say the same thing to me. I'll be talking to her and I just, you know, I won't have the right way to put it, the right etiquette. And she's like, you just, you sound like you're talking down to me. And she was feeling like I was talking down to her, but I never was intending to talk down to her. But somehow that was coming across that way just because I don't have a way with words. And it really took a long time for me to start saying, you know what? I need to find a way to try to, I don't know, like, like I can't take it as far as you were taking it with, with your girlfriend with the BO problem. But at the same time, like I had just had to find a way, like how are the words that I'm saying making her feel the way she is and how can I adjust them to, to come across at least where she doesn't think that I'm as, as rude as, as I'm coming across. Uh, as rude as you are. How could I make her not think that I'm as rude as I am right now? That, Tony, that's exactly <laughs> what I had to start figuring out. <laughs> but you know what? But, and, and it's a good thing though, because, because even before she was pointing it out, that I was doing it to her, she would point it out to how I was doing it to other people. And she's like, I can tell you don't like that guy, or I can tell you don't like that person, or you think they're really dumb, don't you? Because I was just wearing, you know, that expression on my face. And, and I probably shouldn't do that. I should probably be a little more polite to, to people. Um, and keep, you know, if I have a bad thought, I should probably keep it to myself because it's probably a nice person. I'm probably just, being a little bit judgmental. I get, I get it all the time. My wife is like, she'll hear me talking on the phone. Like I'll talk to people that I work with. I'll have to explain something to them on the phone or whatever. And she's like, do you have to be so mean to them? And I'm like, well, right now, yeah, I do. Cause they just, I just do. I don't know. It's just, they got to know that they're really aggravating me right now. <laughs> so yeah, my wife gets the big eyes. You know, she sees me talking to somebody. She says I'm really intense. Yeah, which uh, which is funny because I think I'm pretty smiley most of the time. Yeah, but I know that I'm not all the time, and I and I used to be really intense, so I think I'm really good at it. Yeah. So when I go from being smiley and happy to intense, I think it it, it especially for uh, my wife and my stepdaughters, I think they're like, oh my god, I get about to kill us. Yeah, I get somebody. that a lot with people that that know me because i you know I, I cut up a lot and i just make jokes a lot but then when somebody will start talking and i'll start paying attention then all of a sudden i'm i'm really intense and they're like oh you're really intense right now and i'm like no i'm just listening to what you're saying i don't know why you think i'm being intense i guess i gotta right. wear a bozo the clown suit all the time or else it's intimidating yeah, i don't know a lot of times, yeah when i'm when i'm listening i really like i i can I can be smiley, but sometimes people are telling you like some really messed up stuff. Yeah. And you don't want to be like, Oh yeah. Wow, really? <laughs> oh, great. That's amazing. But, yeah. uh, so, you know, I, I think sometimes I struggle with, with figuring out which expressions to have on my face. But, uh, but yeah, I will say that for what, everything that I said just now, there is definitely things you should keep to yourself. Sometimes you're just pissed and ornery. You know, <laughs> sometimes you've just had a bad day. So you shouldn't bring up every, little detail to every person. But, you know what? The chicken sucks tonight. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> well, this chicken sure is tough. <laughs> you, know, like, you, you probably want to keep stuff like uh, that to yourself. Undercooked but, uh, it again, huh, dear? Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wait, so yeah. that, that kind of situation seems like maybe something that you might deal with uh, with Torch family leadership. What kind of what kind of situations do you end up encountering guys that are struggling maybe in their own marriage that come to you and say, hey, help me out with this? What kind of advice are you giving to guys and how are they applying that to their own life? It's so simple that it's painful. But um, 
all the time talk to guys who have problems with their wives and they'll say, well, my wife said that she needs me to do this. What do I do? Like, well, you should start with doing what she said. If that's what you want, you know, like if you're trying to make her happy, you shouldn't come to another man to, to see what your wife wants, right? Like that's, it'd be a bad, a bad deal if I knew. So as a coach, I'm just going to ask you questions about your relationship with your wife. So it's, I can't tell you how to please your wife, but she can. And it's, it's crazy how many men either know what their wives would say for a different answer because they don't like it. Instead of talking to their wives about it, they'll just come talk to me or they'll talk to another man to try to fix their problems. But what they don't know is that the men that they're talking to have the same damn problem. So it's, it's really better to talk to your wife about it. Um, and it's, it's crazy how many men go, or if I ask if a guy tells me a big problem else or a big life decision or whatever, and I'll say, well, what does your wife say about it? And they're like, well, I don't know. I think she's cool with it. Or I don't know. You know, I can tell it bothers her or, or whatever. And it's like, well, you should really, you should talk to her. You should ask your wife these questions. Um, and there's a lot of guys who are like, wow, I've never thought about that. <laughs> and it's, it's insane that that really is a, 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 a big answer. Um, so I think it is an issue with men that we're afraid to, we're afraid to, uh, to confront things when we're not pissed about it. Right. You know, it's it, when we're mad, we're typically gung ho. Like we're, we're good to go. Let's win a damn argument. Yeah. And I'll throw this out in the middle of an argument where nobody's thinking rationally. And I'll think that we talked about it, even though I'm just saying it because I'm pissed and she's just responding because I'm an asshole. But you, and you just hope that they think about it in a sober mind later, but they might not even remember it because an argument is just like a real fight. I mean, you get a, you get a chemical cocktail and you get, uh, tunnel vision. I'm sure you guys know about, about things like that. So, um, with that tunnel vision, when it comes to your wife, she has it too. She's not catching every turn of phrase that you say, just like you're not. Um, she's trying to think of a way to win your, to win the argument as well as you are. So, um, I think a real big key and an answer to most problems in a marriage is just calmly talking to your wife about stuff. Um, even routinely just scheduling some time to like hang out um, because there's a lot of men who don't spend time just chilling and talking with their wives. And if, and if that's a hard thing to do, then you got to schedule it. And that feels weird at first, but you just do it because you love your wife and you want to keep your family together. And the more you learn about the, about your wife, the better husband that you're going to be. And it's, it's painfully obvious and it's painfully simple. And I'm not saying that that's every problem, but that's, that's a, that's a chunk. Well, let me ask you this. So, so let me see if this, what you're describing right now applies to this. So earlier today, uh, my, my, my wife and I were at the house and the mailman had delivered some mail in the mailbox. And my wife asked me, Hey, will you go check the mail? Cause she was waiting for a particular package that was coming in the mail and it is pouring down rain at this given moment. And I had, I, I had just taken my shoes off and I put on a pair of shorts, gotten out of my pants, and I did not want to go out in the pouring rain. I didn't have shoes on. I wasn't ready to go that. And, and, but I did it. I, I went out there and I got the package and I took it wet. And then when as soon as I came back in, my wife asked me, Hey, will you let the dogs out? And in my mind, I, I'm thinking, 
I just went and let the dog, I just went and got this package for you and you can't even let the dogs out. But I decided, you know what, just let the dogs out. So I let the dogs out. And then as soon as the dogs came back in and I, I had I had wiped the rain off my glasses, I was fine. I didn't want to do it either way. But I just remember back when my wife and I first got married in that situation, I would not have done that. I would have been angry at her and I would have I would have held it against her. I would have argued with her telling, no, I'm not going out there in the rain. How could you ask me that? And then I just I just got the package for you. Why would you now ask for me to take the dogs out? But you know what? I've got to the point where I'm like, it's it's easier just to do what I don't want to do. And then the moment I finish doing it, like she's happy. And that moment, as long as I decide to be happy, we we're getting along great. It's this sounds like defeatist, uh, defeatist talk to me. I don't, I don't like it at all. I don't like, <laughs> I don't like this defeatist mentality. I'm just going to do it. <laughs> so, so is it, is that an issue of just like giving in and being beaten down or is that? Oh, you're like a whipped dog, Jeffrey. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But, Does she let you sleep but, in the room too? Oh my goodness. Dude, I would say it was a wise decision. <laughs> Well, that's what I'm asking. Like, because in the end, in the moment, you feel like, hey, if I give in and go do this, then that means, you know, I'm just whipped or something. Or nah, you like are that. definitely. But I agree. Moment, but the moment it's over and you and your wife are enjoying your time together instead of in an argument over who got the mail or who right. dogs out, you go right back to enjoying each other's company, which we do. You know what I mean? It's it's like you just bite the bullet for a second, and in the long run, we have a really nice, pleasant evening together instead of me being hostile towards her and her towards me because we argue about who was getting the mail. Uh, right. and, and, and that's the difference between the time we were married and and where we're at right now. So in my mind, I'm like, man, we, I, I'm, I feel like I've almost progressed in my, you know, just the way I handle the relationship, and I think overall that we're both happier be- because of it. Is that something you encounter with your regular guys, you know, they're coming through the class, that's something you have to learn or, or am I just totally just beaten into submission? Well, certainly no, she's no, happier you're, about it. You're, you're, you're totally, <laughs> you're totally on it. Um, I, I think those are hard, those are hard fault lessons, you know, cause it's, I always would, I would say, well, if earlier in the, in your marriage, when you got into the argument, cause you just weren't going to do it. Like how was the rest of your night? Oh, it would be it would be done. It would be ruined. We would not get right. the rest of the night. Right, and so that that it you know pretty much sums it up because you can just go and do it now and you can get over it. What yeah. I would say would be like you still have both nuts in the sack. You still have both inches. You you got like everything that you need. Uh, you you didn't give anything up. I would say if it was a, if it was something that happened every single day and it just grinded your gears and pissed you off every single day not just in the moment but every day that's when you talk about it when it's not happening that's when you pour some coffee and you be like hey sweetheart can we have a chat real quick <laughs> you know and that that's when you address it because uh believe me i think there's times where you, you got to stand up for yourself but it's probably not because she's asking you to be a damn man and go in the rain and get the mail and let the damn dogs out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's not like 20 minutes later, the rain stopped and everything was fine. The <laughs> birds were out chirping. <laughs> Jeffrey's soaking wet. <laughs> but, but still, do you want to be the guy your wife talks about to other women and says, that asshole wouldn't go get the mail for me 
and he wouldn't let the dogs out. So I had to go and get the mail in the pouring down rain after I spent 150 bucks to get my hair just right. <laughs> Yeah. Do do you want to be that guy or do you want to be the guy that's like, he's so sweet. He went out in the pouring rain Mm. and he got that and he let the dog go. (laughs) Well, yeah, I I want to be the latter, but I think even more than I want to be the latter, I just want to get along for the rest of the night. You know, I would rather have an enjoyable night with my wife. You know, the kids are, are, are down and it's time, you know, it's our time together. And I would rather that be an enjoyable experience. And I think that, that me going from, where I, my mindset at the beginning of the marriage to the mindset that I have now is the big difference. Um, so I'm just wondering, man, is, is, is this one of the things that, that when guys come to the Torch family leadership that they're looking for, like that answer, maybe just, hey, like it's, it's not always an issue of just giving in, but it's an issue of, of compromising and coming together as one and being one team and working together. Yeah, and that absolutely. means that you're probably going to do some stuff you don't want to do, but your wife is probably doing a ton of stuff for you that she also doesn't want to do at any given moment. Right. Exactly. So, um, yeah, it's not, it's not only something that I talk to other guys about, but it's something that I deal with all the time myself. I mean, just cause I started this and I, when I say I got confident to be a good husband or whatever, it doesn't mean that I always am, you know, I'm, I can I can be a jerk as quick as anybody and I have to do plenty of apologizing and I have the same exact thoughts I got and I tell my kids the same thing you know it's nothing's more um uncomfortable than a house full of kids who want to get upset about every little thing you know and I like do you want to be happy or do you want to be mad do you want to ruin your night or do you want to move on with your night I mean so I tell my kids stuff like that all the time because there's so many things that just aren't worth arguing about and like the scenario that you that you mentioned is yeah i mean it kind of sucks but you're already wet you know i mean it's like if you're going to take a stand you should have took it the very first mention but i think you did the right thing by getting the mail and then it's really not that big of a deal to let the dogs out right right so see i always clown my wife because that's like typical that's like my wife is notorious for that she'll ask for one thing yeah all right i got you but there's always like a laundry list of shit just hiding behind in the back. I call her Mini Napoleon because she's just like barking orders all day long. And I'm like, all right, no mas. <laughs> well, that would lead me to the next response. Because I think if somebody asks you to do something, just like they ask you a question, they've opened themselves up to the answer. So you you have the right to say whatever the hell you want. Yeah. If she says, if she says, let the dogs out, you can just go, no, you know, like you don't have to say, no, I just went out to the mailbox. I just did all this stuff. Ah, blah, 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 me, me, me. You could just be like, no, I'm good. (laughs) You could just say no. It sounds so simple, but you really could just say no. Um, Now, she might have something to say about that, but she might not. Yeah. She might be like, okay. You know what I mean? But. We never know because we it, we seldom take that route. We seldom just calmly say no or no, I'm okay or I'd rather not. You know, it's we either don't say anything or we get really mad. There is another option, so does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. And that does other that, option does it sound like you always... like you'd never do it? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I might not tell her no in that situation now just because I'm looking forward to just 
you know, getting along. And, that, and, and when she tells you that that's what she wants, then, and if you're looking for a situation where you're like, hey, how do I get along with my wife overall in the long haul, you know, that might right there be the step one is, is let the dogs out at that given moment because, you know, I, I'm going to be asking her to, to do my laundry or I'm going to be asking her like, hey, when's dinner ready? She might not want to make dinner, but, you know, that's. I'm really you biting know, my tongue with the age-long, uh, lame dad joke of who let the dogs out right now. I mean, we know that the answer is Jeff right now. We know now, finally, once and for all, the answer is Jeff. Yeah, it was me. <laughs> <laughs> Not because I wanted to. Because it was worth it to you. It, it was, was worth it to me. It was mandated. <laughs> mandated. Uh so, yeah, no, I think that's a, I think that's a great question and a great, uh, a great scenario to talk about, actually. Well, let, Blake, let me ask you this: if, so you, you kind of, you found yourself in a situation where you were a single father for how long? Seven years. Seven years. Wow. With two kids. Yeah, right. Six, six. Excuse me. Don't let me misspeak. Six years. Six or seven. It's that's. So, at, that's good work. At, <laughs> <laughs> At what point did you decide to to start doing Torch Family Leadership? Was it once you got married or were you still single and trying to work a regular job? What point did this thing start coming together as far as as far as as, as leading other men and having a job and running a family all at the same time? Yeah, it um I would say that the the seeds were planted uh before I was I was married, remarried. Um I I think that just through the longevity of being a single father to such young kids, um I think was seen as this sounds cocky, but I'm just being real, but uh, an inspiration to to a lot of men who are going through the same things where their wife their wives were leaving and they were they were left with the kids. And, um, so I'd get, I'd get texts and phone calls a lot from, from guys trying to figure out just how to do it. You know, like, how do I do this? Because it's really, it really is daunting to, to face all that. Even if you know how to do every singular thing that, that, uh, it entails, it's really hard to do the entire lot of everything. Um, you know, it's really hard to potty train and change diapers on the other and not have like doo-doo everywhere right or, like you know your son peeing in the corner or running them to the doctor you know you can't leave a two-year-old at home alone so if something happens to the four-year-old you got to load everybody up i mean there's i could go on and on all night about that so i'll, I'll just stop but um a lot of guys find that really daunting. So I was, people were reaching out to me and I was basically doing the same thing. I just didn't know, um, as much about what to tell them. You know, I would just give them advice and, and try to help them as much as I could, but I didn't know what I know now, uh, after going through training to be, to be a coach, um, didn't know much about, um, like uh, a plan to put people on action steps. Um, 
I didn't I didn't know how to set people on the path. I just know how to tell them so what I've done. So so what was the the training you had to do to become a coach? I went to the uh, Christian Coach um, Institute and became a certified personal life coach, and that's recognized by the ICF. And then I also went back and did a group coaching mastery class. So I'm a certified group coaching master. Um, for whatever that means, but uh, basically a facilitator. And other than that, it's uh, reading a lot of books, doing masterminds, leading leading groups, being parts of groups. Um, but yeah, I do have some formal training. Awesome. So how long how long have you been doing it? I don't know. I can't remember if you said or not. I didn't say, but um, I started towards family leadership. Um, that was the very, very, it was probably about a year ago. Okay. When I actually launched the company. Okay. And that was kind of, uh, I should say that was, was kind of forced on me to do, or not forced on me, but just life circumstance. It wasn't like somebody else did it, but, um, I was in a position where I could, I could make, take steps to take some risk in my, uh, professional life mm-hmm. um, and had some stuff go on with the family. Mom, my mom was diagnosed with cancer. She helped me out uh, with all the kids a whole lot. And all of a sudden she was in the hospital getting chopped up for months. And so I had to start taking care of the children and I didn't want to be, I'm not a stay at home dad kind of guy, but I am, I am the kind of man that's going to do whatever needs to be done. So uh, I stepped back from, the job that I was working and I opened up towards family leadership sooner than I was expecting to, because I was, I just needed to be able to work from closer to home or at home. Uh, but, but yeah, I just, uh, I'm not, I'm not really the stay at home dad type. That's not, that's not really in me. I got to figure out how I can make it work to provide and, and do what needs to be done. So my wife doesn't have that, that sort of fluidity with her job and, and she kicks ass at it. She's really good. And, uh, she has to be there. So, so how was it that you actually found the time to get this all up and running? Because tell me if I'm wrong, but at the same time of being a husband and a father, you're you're doing your your neon sign building, uh, your own business doing that, and then on top of all of that, on top of a regular full time job, you say, hey, here's something I'm passionate about, and I want to start this business, and here's an opportunity, and now's the time to do it. So, how were you able to kind of corral? The, the family life, the husband life, the full-time job, and then take a passion that you have and then turn that into an additional business. How did, how do you accomplish all that? Well, I had already carved out some time in my, um, in the neon world to do the training and to do school. So for, uh, for over a year, I had, I had stepped back a little bit. Um, so obviously I wasn't making as much money, but I was, I was taking steps in a direction that I felt passionate about and I felt ultimately would be the, would be the goal. So, um, I kind of just adjusted life at that point. And then when it, when it had to take a more serious turn and, uh, and I, I had to start taking more responsibilities at home, it was more, um, it was more just like, I just saw the problem and I attacked it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't really have a, a real good 
plan of action other than it was like there was there was this monster in front of me and I had to slay it. You know, like I just had to just had to grab my resources and make make it happen. Um, and, you know, I've had to do that a lot in my life. So it really just it just felt second nature. There was really no there was really no hesitation about it. My wife was on board. She was cool um, about about that happening. Um, which is awesome. It's really a testament to her because, you know, just like I'm a man, she's also, you know, she's a woman. She wants to nurture her children and she wants to do what needs to be done as well. But it just made more sense for her to stay, to stay at work. She didn't have the fluidity that I had. You know, I put myself in a position in the neon world where I've got a, a bit of fluidity. I'm really good at that. And, uh, there's, in a, in a world right now where there's not a whole lot of people who are really good at it. And so, um, it puts me in enough demand to where I can kind of work, work things around it. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I wish I had some sort of, some sort of three month plan that somebody could throw in, but really my plan was, or, or my plan is have a tragedy and then deal with it. So, uh, yeah. wow. <laughs> well, so, so I guess my next question is, if a guy, if a guy has gone through a life experience similar to you or, or something equivalent to what you have and, and as a result, they have a passion and they want to follow this passion, even though it's not practical, it's not practical to set aside or, or take time away from your regular business or take time to say, hey, look, hey, family, look, I need to bring on this whole new project. What would you say to the guy that has a passion and even though it's not practical, to start following that passion on top of everything else that they have to do. What would you say to that guy in that situation? I would say that, that you've got time that you don't realize. I would say that you, you got to put, put the work in and just because somebody says, go after your passions or just because you have a passion doesn't, doesn't guarantee that anything's going to be easy. So, uh, it might mean that you take your lunch break and all you do is, look into ways to do this passion or you network and you talk to people, you put yourself out there. Um, but the, the major thing I think is that you don't leave that bullet in the chamber. Uh, you've got to act on it because if you don't, then you're always, you don't even know what you want until you try to get what you want. Uh, because sometimes we think we know a lot of things until we're confronted with them. So I might think I have a passion to play in the NFL. And somebody told me that I could do anything I ever wanted to do, that nothing was impossible, but I am 38, I'm 5'10", and I got two bum knees. There's no way I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a part of the NFL on the field right now. It's not. I don't care how much belief or passion I have, it's not going to happen. Damn it, you but just crashed my that, dreams, man. You crushed I, them. They're gone. Yeah, I'm sorry. Well, you needed a crush. <laughs> but, you know, I could go on some high school field. I could say, I'm going to go train with, uh, I'll say, Pebble Brook High School because we've got a tie there. Um, and those kids would destroy me. Yeah. Without the man strength that I feel like I've, I've earned over the years, they would destroy me and my bad knee. And I would know all of a sudden I don't have a passion to be a middle linebacker in the NFL anymore. Because if this 17-year-old can just just knock the slobber out of my face, 
Uh, it's still going to be a it's going to be a, a tough day. But that's an extreme example. But I think you got to act on passions to find out. You got to you got to test them. You know what I mean? And if you if you think you're passionate about something that you can't devote 45 minutes to on your lunch break, then you ain't passionate about it. Right. Wow. Okay. Well, does, it, does that answer the question or did it? No, no, I think it does. And I think that puts into a new perspective that I never even really thought about because they, you know, you hear people talk about follow your passions all this, all the time and, and stuff like that. But, but what you're saying is your passion might not even be a realistic passion until you actually put some effort into it. So you might quickly realize that it's not a passion, but you'll never find that out until you're actually applying yourself towards it. And you might apply yourself for five minutes. Or you might apply yourself all the way up into a successful career, but you never know until you take that leap. Right, right. Because the, the thing that's missing in passion are the fine details. So we all we all can come up with some dream, but the dream is always the end result. The dream is never the work to get to it. Right. You know what I mean? So it's real romantic to have a passion for the end result. You know, I, I could have a passion to have a six pack. But I don't have a passion to wake wake up early, eat right, work out hard, and lose twenty five pounds. The passion so, for pizza is a lot bigger than the passion it, for abs. Exactly. So <laughs> sometimes what you find out is the passion for TV yeah. after dinner is more important than whatever else you wanted to do. So I think it's important to kind of test those passions. And if you never test those passions, then all you do is regret not pursuing them. But if you pursue them and it turns into something that you didn't really want, you don't regret it anymore. I mean, damn, you tried. Right. You went after it and you readjusted. So. Right. And I would say to you, Jeffrey, like, uh, are you passionate about the work you do? Oh, absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, you know, I can tell that. But I remember, I remember, you know, I don't think that was an aspiration. I could be wrong. But if my recollection is correct, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but so we worked at the same place. Was it called Royal Metal? Hey, man, I worked there, too. I worked there, too. Yes. Yeah. Well, I worked there for like all of a day. And I said, forget this. I was the worst Royal Metal employee ever. Like, we'll mark that down. Did you work there, too? Yeah, I did. I did. I worked with you for like six months right before I joined the Air Force. And they, they, Uh, 9-11, they were, 9-11, like the Thursday after 9-11, they were like, hey, beat it. And I was like, oh, thank God. This is the worst job ever. (laughs) (laughs) I was at, I remember, well, because that's a big thing for me. I was working at Royal Metal when 9-11 happened. Yeah, I was right there with you. We went to me, you, and that other weird dude that we worked with. <laughs> we went to some like seven day store, and like that, the guy working the counter was very quiet all of a sudden. And we had no idea until we got back that we found that out what had actually happened. Oh, wow. Yeah. But no, that's funny. All three of us worked at that same place. I, I, I completely forgot that that happened. That was a terrible that's job. That's when I learned what hard work was, and I was like, I do not like that at all. So, yeah, so I was trying to work there in the interim between like music things. Yeah. And I just needed, I just needed a job. You know, I needed to make some money. And I went through, <laughs> they wanted me to do sheet metal elbows. <laughs> and they gave me a pair of gloves. And I remember I went through, I think, six pairs of those leather gloves <laughs> that the one day I worked there. <laughs> and I was like, no, nah, man. I play guitar. That's all I care to do. Yeah. I'm not trying to get my finger cut off by this machine. 
Um, and that crazy old man that ran the forklift with the flames on the side of it. <laughs> uh, the main thing I remember about that place, though, is correct me if I'm wrong, Jeffrey, you found a dead body there, did you I not? did. Oh, in the parking lot or something, right? That was like two days before I started working there, I think. Yeah, there was a dead body. I, he was laying in the parking lot. He had been killed. He, his wife had hired someone to kill him. He was laying in the parking lot. And when I arrived to work, I didn't know he was there because it was dark. And I was just sitting in my car and just feet, several feet away from my car was a dead body in the parking lot. And I, I had to, got to work early that day. So I sat in my car for like close to an hour just waiting on my shift to start because I showed up early. And sure enough, there was a dead body right outside of my car. I had no idea. <laughs> well, it's funny because I remember talking to you about that. I wasn't working there at the time. I had long been, I had long put in my six hours or however long I worked there. <laughs> but uh, I remember maybe, I don't know, I think we were playing guitar or something. I don't know. But I remember you telling me about that. I'm like, dude, were you freaked out? And you were like, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Like it was all right. Like you're so stoked about it, and then I was like, I thought I was the metal guy. Like, I would have been freaking out, you know. And and so when you went into law enforcement, I've always tied those two things together, and I've always wondered, like, if that if that incident ever played a role in the fact that you decided to take that path. Like you were just so like, like it was okay for you to see that. No, you know what? And it's funny because this this. This conversation right here has nothing to do with the podcast at all today, but but no, so I decided I wanted to be a cop when I was three or four years old. Okay. I've known since that long that I wanted to be a police officer, and then I've had a handful of things that happened to me um, as a teenager in early twenties that steered me in the right direction. I know That'd we got I got into a car wreck one time where our car flipped and landed upside down. I had to like drag my friend out of the car because he was screaming and he thought he was going to die. And then there was another time that I had, we had gotten robbed at gunpoint down in Atlanta. And the whole time I was trying to come up with a way, like, how could I bash this dude on the head with a two by four or something to save my friends? And my, my other friends were so scared they were trembling. So just a handful of things kind of set me up where I had wanted to be a cop. And then these things happened to me. And, and mentally I was able to overcome them without being overwhelmed or, or fearful. And that, those things, when, once those things happened, I was like, you know what? I think I have the right mindset for being a cop and I just kind of followed where I was and and it's worked out well so far. So I've been a police officer. Uh, <laughs> February will be my 15 year anniversary. Um, and me and over- Charlie Big Pants and uh, what's his name? We used to try really hard Charlie to get you Big to Pants. not ever get you hired by uh, setting off fireworks <laughs> in your driveway and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> getting the cops show up a lot. Several times. <laughs> what's that? That guy got the police called to our house several times, but his front lawn on fire. Oh, God. I know exactly who you're talking about. And we used to run inside and let Jeffrey answer the door. <laughs> he took a, he took a scarecrow and laid it out on the side of the road one time and hooked a rope to it. That was the so funniest was like thing ever. Hit by a car, and he would like pull it. Oh, my God. And the car was driving by, and people <laughs> think that a man was on the road flopping around. That was like, hilarious. That was funny. Very entertaining. oh man well it does kind of tie into the to the conversation because torch family leadership also deals with this whole passion thing and you just said you had the passion for that since you were like three so (laughs) yeah i'm just watching chips as a kid and and saying hey them guys they're out there catching bad guys and they're trying to 
do right to people that that need a little bit of help and can't help themselves that that whole idea has just always appealed to me and and being the one that can kind of help someone when they need that help and they can't do it for themselves is always been just like that's just what i wanted to do so yeah so it's been uh it's been a rewarding career so far and it's been uh it's something that i've done for 15 years and i'm still passionate about and it's still fun so that's definitely awesome. regretted uh those choices was there ever a day, though, at Royal Metal where you wanted to be the guy in the forklift with the flames on it? Dude, that guy was... I wish I could remember his name. The one him and the other guy that used to chase him around. Is so embarrassed that he was bald because he would wear that... He would wear the uh, the do-rag on his head with the flames on it. <clears throat> and he would not admit that he was bald underneath that. And I just wanted him to own it. Just admit you're bald. Just... Just Dude, I'm there. I'm I'm having to admit that stuff to myself all the time. I'm not ready. Not ready. Dude, all the hair has gone from the back of my head <laughs> to my back. <laughs> so yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Well, hey, yeah, but you know what? That's that's what we deal with, <laughs> right? I mean, Tony used to make fun of me all the time because I have a really high forehead, and t- I remember we were in our. What do you mean you 20s. had a really f- high forehead? Well, you used to make fun of me, and I, I would think I well, you still have a I really thought, high forehead, huh? You still have a really high forehead. Like it's not that I used to. I used to make fun of you, but you still have a really high forehead. You're right. Both well, of those true. You used to make fun of me for it, and I do have a high forehead. <laughs> But at the same time that when I was in my early 20s and during the time you were making fun of me about it, I was worried that I would be bald on top by the time I was 25 or 30. And I'm very grateful that all I have is a high forehead and I still have a, a good bit of hair on the top of my head. It's just great. Yeah, you're you turned gray man. before you went bald. That's good. Yeah. See, I always said that I just had a high forehead too. <laughs> and that was always cool because I did. But then one day, uh, my daughter made fun of my bald spot and she was just i was like sitting down and she was like four the four-year-olds don't lie i don't even know how to to lie uh unless they're getting in trouble but she like ran her finger around the back of my head she was like you're bald what the what the hell and so i got the mirror and i looked and it was like oh i cannot i can't just say that i have a high forehead anymore like just I got a I got a huge crop circle back here. You know how like uh, your parents are supposed to be the ones that kind of like always like fluff your ego a little bit and they'll tell you lies like oh you're a good looking guy you know. I remember um, I was giving my dad a hard time about going bald, and uh, my mom looked at me and she was like, "Hey, you ain't got much room to talk." And I'm like 26, and I'm like the fuck are you talking about lady you know <laughs> and then i like spent some time looking in the mirror i'm like son of a bitch you know i was like i've had a complex sense you know i'm like shit <laughs> but I was, when you were 20 years old you had grown your hair out and you had the thickest fullest head of hair yeah of dude, any I, dude that i've ever met i still have like oh, thick hair but it's not on top anymore it's pretty <laughs> it's then up there <laughs> it's everywhere else yeah it's yeah just a, i used to have super thick hair too yeah on the back I of my, my hair head. out and it was all curly and all the girls i remember that yep you had long like like goldilocks curls i remember that i did i, did. <laughs> I made that i made it look good <laughs> <laughs> I was like the dude that guys would like whistle at from behind. Yeah, <laughs> thought I was like some bodybuilder woman or something. Uh, 
would, that would have been the butchest woman they'd ever seen walk come by. <laughs> right, turn around with my stupid uh, whatever. I had like the horn beard, like because I shaved it down the middle. I was like, oh, it's bad. Sorry. <laughs> right. Okay, well, I had just a couple more questions for you. Uh, we kind of deviated there for a second, but Blaze, uh, when we when with your experience meeting with guys and talking about guys and their uh, life coaching opportunities. What do you think is one of the the biggest or most upfront problem with an average guy today, and how does he go about fixing it? So, I think I think that men in general these days are really confused, and I don't think it's completely their fault. Um, I think culture has really confused what what a man is and what a man should be, and the uh, culture says that there is no such thing as what a man should be, uh, that a man should be whatever he is. But the problem is, is I think that just confuses a bunch of young men. They don't know how to be a good man. They don't know how to be a man. So what I've found with a lot of men is that it doesn't affect bad men. They don't care. They don't care enough to be confused. But a potentially good man could get confused and then just get complacent and he just doesn't want to be criticized. So it would keep him from acting. So, uh, see it a lot with, you know, like younger men, but even older men, especially men who find themselves in a position that I was in when they're, when their wife takes off in their thirties. Um, they don't know how to relate to the world anymore because the world's different. I mean, when I, I was married for six years and this was, you know, eight years ago when I got divorced, but the world was completely different. And the way that the world viewed men was completely different from when I was single to when I had been married and got divorced. So I think what happens with a lot of men is you get confused. You don't know how to act because everything you do is offensive. Uh, if you drive by a lady with a, with a flat tire, then you're an asshole because you didn't try to help. If you stop to ask to help her, then you're an asshole because you assume that she didn't know how to take care of it herself. Um, and I think that that's BS. There needs to be a line where a man can win because what's going to happen is a man's never going to get criticized if he just drives by to his face. But if he stops to help somebody and then he's chastised because he tried to help him or somebody goes off on him and, and assumes that he's being offensive, then he's never going to stop. And what's the world going to be if, um, if men stop being men? And I think, especially in a family, it's a man's job to protect, provide, and preview. So you protect your family because you're big and you're strong. And that's what you were put here for. That's, you know, that's, generally speaking, a man is stronger with less effort. Um, and that's not putting down women. That's just, them's the facts. That's just science, uh, man. <laughs> it's just science. And when everybody wants to look at it, we can talk about it. But uh, it's just science. And so you protect, you use your strength, and you learn how to protect. Uh, like the Lincoln and Liberty thing, you learn how to, you learn how to to shoot. You learn how to carry a weapon. You learn how to, you learn how to fight. You learn how to take care of your family. You learn how to uh, protect kids these days from social media. You know what I mean? You learn how to how to not let your kids' emotions get in the way of the way you parent. Um, you provide, you make money, 
This is what men have been doing for, for thousands of years. Uh, I think it's funny that all of a sudden we just have right now this problem of what a man is when we have all this data to look at for thousands of years across thousands of cultures. Um, and it's to protect, provide, and to preview. And when I say preview, uh, you gotta show, you gotta show the next generation how to be a man. Um, I'm not so sure that our fathers failed at that. I don't know where the failure has come, but I think that there's a big issue with the fact that men are confused about how to be a good man. So I think a lot of men that, that would have a little fire in their gut have just decided to, to step out of the, the arena. Um, and it's an issue. You know, it's an issue, it's an issue that, that men are shrinking, that they're staying in their mom's basement, <laughs> you know, like that they're not out doing things they're not making things they're not providing for others they're not protecting others that's what a man does you know a man is not built to sit at home and eat fast food and never do a damn thing with his life do you think that uh the fact that there's a lot more like single parent homes kind of especially now than maybe ever before you think that has anything to do with it or um, with, with the confusion of all that, <clears throat> yes, for sure. I think that the, the lack of, of men in homes definitely, it, it, it adds to the, to the issue. Cause if you, if you don't have a role model, even a bad role model is probably better than a, than no role than model, a, than no role model. Yeah. Cause it, a lot of times and a lot of people our age, um, can say, well, my dad was never there. He was always working. And when he was there, he was mad. Well, at least you saw that you were supposed to be working. Right. Right. Um, and at least you saw that, that, uh, things can make you mad. Uh, as a man these days, you can't even get mad, right? Like right. you get mad, you're illogical and you're intense and you're dangerous. Well, you're damn right. I'm dangerous. You know what I mean? And, and like, there's nothing wrong with that. If I'm dangerous, but I, I hold myself in check in all the appropriate times, then the world's better for it. Right. And so, um, and that's not to say that, that those guys, those men that were, that were always working and always belligerent or whatever, that's not to say that they're in the right. But what I'm saying is that at least you get something there. Um, and it's, it's no offense to single mothers that raise that raise men and boys or anybody they're doing the best that they can it's not their fault it's uh it's the missing male role model yeah hell even somebody do. that grew up with somebody that you know was maybe a bad parent you know at least that gives them a inspiration to be something better but somebody's missing that parent altogether you know maybe they just there's just that void there that they just don't even know absolutely yeah. great point yeah i think that's a that's a good I, I like how you point that out. I've never really considered that. Um, but I oftentimes, and my wife has pointed this out as well, is I strive to be the dad that my dad wasn't. But if he hadn't have been there at all, what would I be striving for? Like, right. I don't know. Right. So maybe, maybe that's a really good point that, that even having a bad role model is better than no, role model at all i've never thought about that i really like the fact that you guys just brought that up yeah the hardest the the hardest situation that's uh, client-wise that's ever come 
to me was somebody that never had any sort of male figure. Um, and he was literally just going like, please just tell me how to be. I don't, you know, I'm trying to be a good husband. I'm trying to be a good dad. I really, I really have no clue. And I could tell he looked like a, like a person that was drowning, like literally drowning. I mean, he had to look in his eyes like he, like he was dying and he had no clue how to, how to change it. And it was really a hard thing to deal with because it's hard to start with nothing. You know, like it's hard to tell, to tell somebody who has no, no idea how, where to start. You know, like it's, when you got something to work with, you can kind of, you can work it out, but it's, it's very difficult when somebody says, I'm a clean slate and I'm dying. Like, help me be the man that I need in my life right now. Cause I don't know what to do. Wow. Blaze, how can people find you and, and get a hold of you and, and follow up with what you're doing with Torch Family Leadership and, and anything else? Well, the Torch Family Leadership is on Instagram. Um, it's Torch underscore family underscore leadership. It's also on Facebook. And there also is a website, torchfamilyleadership.com. Um, and I have my email is blaze at torchfamilyleadership.com. Uh, I'm always open to uh, any sort of questions or if somebody just wants to reach out and, and find an option, um, we can work that out. I don't want to. It's my goal not to turn people away. It's to figure out a way. So um, that's really what I'm in, in it for is to, is to help men. And I keep I keep the rates pretty low because I've been a single father. And if that's what I'm going for, I know there's not a whole lot of money jingling in that in that uh, wallet. So. Um, so those are the places. Well, we appreciate you being on, man. That was fun. Thank you for listening to Mansplain Everything. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and tell a friend about us. We would appreciate it. Hashtag mansplain it.